Welcome to the Hills, whether you're in person at the North Richmond Hills, West Fort Worth, or South Lake Campus, or whether you're a part of our online family across the city, the state, the country, and even the world. If you're joining us for the first time this year, we're in week three of a series titled Keep Calm. We're talking about anxiety. So I heard of two young boys sharing a hospital room, and one said to the other, why are you here? And the second boy said, well, I'm going to get a tonsillectomy. And the first boy said, no, sweat, I had that once. You're going to wake up. They're going to give you all the popsicles and ice cream you want. You go home the next day, feel great. And he said, that's awesome. Why are you here? He said, I'm supposed to get something called a circumcision. Horror came over the other boy's face. I had that when I was a baby. I couldn't walk for a year. So <laughs> here's the point. Every day... We are bombarded with messages that have the potential to produce great anxiety within us. It is getting harder and harder to stay calmer than those around us. Now, again, if you're just joining us, let me be clear what I am not talking about in this series. I'm not talking about the kind of anxiety that has a physiological basis. For example, perhaps a chemical imbalance. There are times when you need to go see a good doctor. And I'm not talking about the kind of anxiety that is a result of some past event that was a deep source of emotional trauma. There are times when you need to go see a competent counselor. At our church, we believe that medicine and therapy are good gifts from God that need to be stewarded. What I'm talking about is the kind of anxiety Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount when he said to his crowd, now I understand why pagans worry so much. Their gods are capricious. Their worldview is mechanistic. But you say that you believe in a God that is good and faithful and sovereign. Why do you worry so much? Why do you go through life? What if? What if we don't have enough to drink or to eat or to wear? Why are you so paralyzed by fear of tomorrow that you have no peace in your life today? That's what I'm talking about. And many of you have said, it's just so providential. You'd be talking about that right now. But here's the truth. Is there ever a season where we don't wrestle with anxiety? If I did a series on anxiety every single year, it would still be relevant. We can't talk about this too much. And I'm convinced we can't talk about it too soon. Because I did a lot of reading last year about anxiety. And one of the things most unsettling is the epidemic of anxiety among children. According to data from the National Institute of Mental Health, one in every three teenage girls and one in every four teenage boys struggle significantly with anxiety. The Center for Collegiate Mental Health says anxiety in the last number of years has run well past depression as the number one mental health concern on college campuses. And if you ask any educator among us, they will tell you the problem of anxiety is appearing well before adolescence. I could cite a lot of studies, but what I want to do is just read a brief excerpt of an email I received last month from a school administrator in our church when she heard I was going to do a series on anxiety. 
She said, at my school, I have children as young as first grade struggling with anxiety to the point of requiring therapy and medication. I have young children who talk about suicide. I had hoped mainly this was an issue people living without faith struggled with. But then last year, I taught third grade. We talked about the Sermon on the Mount, and I tried to make the lessons appropriate for third grade level. And at the end of the study, I asked the kids, which topic was most meaningful for you? 80% of them said the part about worry. So I asked them what they were worried about, expecting to hear childish concerns, and I heard a few of those. But the majority said, I'm worried about our family's finances. I'm worried if mom and dad are going to get a divorce. I'm worried about dying. I'm worried about being alone, about failing state tests. I heard pain in their voices as they openly shared about all they were anxious about. And I was overwhelmed to hear how many of them were so burdened by worry. I don't have the time in this series to dive deep into this. And so here's what we've decided this Wednesday night on our church Facebook platform. David Meyer is going to have a conversation with Stephanie Hunter, who is one of the licensed counselors on our church staff. And we're going to talk about family and mental health, particularly leaning into children and anxiety. I want you to join. There's a place for you to even send in questions. And most of all, please share this link with your friends and neighbors. Because this is a conversation we really need to have. And by the way, uh, if you go to thehills.org slash counseling, you can make an appointment with one of our licensed counselors on staff and talk now. Because we are all pilgrims on this journey of trying to leave the prison of anxiety. But I believe we are pilgrims that can make progress. I'm contending in this series that as Christians, we have access to spiritual resources that can help us keep calm. And the text we've been using as our platform for this series is in Philippians chapter 4, so look at it one more time with me. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Paul is saying here that we can take steps to deal with anxiety. That when anxiety speaks, we can talk back. So I've been using this acrostic calm for this series. And we're noticing that there are strategies Paul is suggesting that we can take. The very first is to come to Jesus. You cannot go anywhere else and find rest for your soul. You need to ask God for what you need and cast all your anxiety on Him. We talked about that last week. In a moment, we're going to unpack what it means to learn to be content. And we're going to close next week talking about taking captive the thoughts that are making us so anxious. And again, the idea is 
that when it comes to keeping calm, we have responsibility. We can talk back. A professor was teaching this to his class this way. He said, if I gave you $86,400 and someone took $10 from you, would you throw away $86,390 because you lost 10? They said, of course not. He said, every day you have 86,400 seconds. Time is more valuable than money. You can make more money. You don't get that time back. And something comes along that upsets you or stresses you or makes you nervous. And it probably took 10 seconds. Are you going to throw away 86,390 seconds because of that 10? And what he's trying to do is teach them, we can't always control outcomes. We do get to control our outlook. Or to put it this way, the non-anxious life is a determination more than a destination. This is the heart of the message right here. I'm asking an important question. Is calm a place or is it a perspective? Most people think it's a place. Most people think, well, you know, When I get to this place where they act right and I don't have that issue and everyone else, when that happens, then I'll be calm. And listen, if calm is a place, I got bad news. Number one, you're probably not going to get there. And number two, if you do, you're not going to get to stay very long. See, Paul did not fall into the trap of when, then thinking. When I get out, and when they act right, and when I feel better, his outlook was a decision, not a destination. Remember, he's writing from a place called prison. But he kept calm. And it was primarily because he had learned something from the Lord. He talks about it just a few verses later. Now, here's the backdrop. When back in then, when you were in prison, the state didn't take up money to support you. If people didn't send you stuff, you did without. So Paul's in prison. The Philippian church hears that. They send him some relief. He's glad to get it. But he he wants them to know their level of generosity didn't raise his level of joy. That he wasn't pacing the cell, anxious and worried about tomorrow. Here's what he tells them. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Paul was not pacing in his cell. He was praising in his cell. He didn't know if he was going to get out of prison, but he did know he was not going to run out of peace. See, it's not that life is good, And it makes me content. It's that I am content. And that makes life good. 
Oh my, that, that's probably the smartest thing I've said in seven years. <laughs> Might need to say that again. It's not that I got to this place where everything was so good and I'm, I was content. It's that I learned contentment and it made any place I was at good. And that kind of contentment, Paul says, can be learned. It's not that you're just born that way. You learn this. If you want to escape the prison of perpetual anxiety, you've got to learn this. And there's two things you've got to learn. Number one, you've got to learn to be grateful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul does not give an expiration date. Expose your worry to worship. And one of the strongest expressions of worship is thanksgiving. So go back to what he said, chapter 4, verse 6. Do not worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. Now, Paul, we said, is not saying you should never be anxious. The word he uses there is a present tense verb. He's saying, don't stay in a state of perpetual anxiety. Take it to God, and when you're talking to God, you be sure you include a lot of thanksgiving. Now, I want to show you a picture. If you're a sports fan, you will recognize Coach K. This is Mike Krzyzewski. He is the head men's basketball coach at Duke University. Now, you may or may not like the Blue Devils, but you have to admit he's a great coach. He's won five national championships. The last one was in 2016. And as they were going to the March Madness tournament, he gave each player a new basketball and a marker. He said, I want you to write on this ball the names of the people that helped you get here. The friends that supported you, the teammates that passed the ball to you, the coaches that taught you, the parents that drove you to all those practices. And I want you to carry this ball with you throughout this tournament, wherever you go. Because I want you to play for others, not just for yourself. And they played well. They won the championship. And as Coach K put it, I was trying to teach them to keep gratitude at the center of their game. Now, again, like coach or not, you have to admit that's smart. We need to keep gratitude at the center of our game. Look at what Paul said to the Thessalonian church. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in, not for, he didn't say be thankful for all circumstances. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So clearly Paul believes we can change our attitude. Even when we cannot change our situation. We can silence our future fears by giving voice to our present blessings. You know what? That's the second smartest thing I've said in seven years. So I'm going to say it again. We can silence future fears by giving voice to our present Blessings. Doing so reminds us that we, what we have in Christ is so much better than anything we may not have in life. But here's the thing. 
You are not going to drift into becoming a more grateful person. You're not. You're not going to accidentally cultivate a habit of thanksgiving. It is a discipline that you must pursue. Let me tell you what that looks like for me. God really put this on my heart a few years ago, so I started this discipline. I, I wake up early most mornings. I usually lie in bed for a few minutes before I get out of bed. And I have turned that time into my Thanksgiving time. I start my day this way. Now, I don't ask for things. That comes later in the day, petitions and intercessions. Those first few moments are just for thanking God. I thank God that I woke up. I thank God for big things like my health and my family and my church. I thank God for any little thing that pops into my head, like how soft my pillow feels, or that in a few minutes I'm going to get a chicken biscuit. Let me tell you, if you can't thank God for a chicken biscuit, you probably need to get baptized. <laughs> and what happens is it sets the tone for my day. And I find myself able the rest of the day to find blessings I might have missed. I might be out jogging with some friends and I'll just silently say, God, thank you that my legs work. Instead of complaining about how hard this is, I get to do this. Thank you for two legs that still work. And by the way, I believe this is one of the primary benefits of regularly taking the Lord's Supper together. If you're a guest, you notice we do this every week at our church. Actually, the early Christians did it every day. You know one reason why? It cultivates the spirit of thanksgiving. Look at this word. It's a Greek word, eucharistius. It's the word Paul used in Philippians 4, 6 when he said give thanks. This is the word for thankfulness. And some of you know that another word for the Lord's Supper or communion is Eucharist. So we take some bread and we take some wine. And I don't care how tough our life is or how hard it's been last week. We got this, folks. Jesus has saved us from our sins. Instead of going to hell where we deserve, we're going to go to heaven. We get to be thankful for that and have that reshape and reform the rest of our week. The cross is where thanksgiving should begin for every believer because it reminds us God has a supply of grace that never ends. And that's the second thing we must learn, to be graceful. And I think that was the secret. That was the secret that Paul learned. It's what Paul meant when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we like to take that verse out of context and put it up on the locker room and say, we're going to go win a championship. Paul wasn't saying, because of Christ, I will always come out on top. He was saying, even when I'm at the bottom, even when life is hard, even when I don't get what I want, even when I'm in prison, I can, because of God's grace, be everything I was created to be. I have learned to be content because God is going to supply the grace for any situation so that I am the person I was created to be. I'll tell you where I think you learned this. We know Paul had some kind of a debility. Not sure what it was, but it was painful. It wasn't just an irritant. It made his life quite hard. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians. Three different times I begged 
the Lord to take it away. By the way, it's okay to do that. If there's something in your life causing you a lot of stress, ask God to take it away. But know that God's always going to give you what you need more than what you want. So each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Anybody here been through a season of weakness? We all have. And seasons of weakness tend to make us very anxious. And we want to get out of them. God wants us to get something out of them. Specifically, God wants us to get out of our time of weakness the confidence that He will sustain us with His grace. That you cannot learn how strong grace is without growing through a season of weakness. You cannot learn how strong grace is unless you're in the place that you wish you could leave. Think about it. When you are dealing with a great stress in your life and you want to talk to somebody, who do you go to? Do you go to the person that doesn't look like they know a thing about suffering? Or do you go find that person that you know has been through tough situations with supernatural calm? I remember early in my preaching ministry, I was facing a decision. I felt like I knew what the right thing to do was. I also knew if I do it, I am going to get hammered by critics. So I went and found a veteran preacher who I knew had been the recipient of a lot of unfair criticism in his life. But I had noticed he never became cynical. He never got bitter. And I went to ask him, what I should do. And he said, you always do the right thing and count on God to sustain you. That's what I've learned. And if he used the word one time, he used it 50 times. He used the word grace. And here's the thing. If your solution to anxiety is to get to a place, I can't help you. Not only that, if I told you that's the solution, I'd be lying to you. To pursue calm by avoiding pain is a strategy that cannot deliver. Contingent contentment only leads to more stress. Unpack what I just said. If your contentment is contingent on things you can't control, it's only going to freak you out more. Tomorrow is constantly going to be a threat to you. Here's a better strategy. Listen to the Apostle Peter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen, when he says grow in grace, he's not talking about doctrinal understanding. That's a good thing to do. But he doesn't mean 
study the etymology of the Greek word for grace. He's not talking about doctrinal understanding. He's talking about supernatural empowering. He's talking about growing in your capacity to receive supernatural strength from God to go through the hard time and to do the right thing. He's talking about allowing God to redeem the situations that you wish were removed. Somebody asked C.S. Lewis one time, why do the righteous suffer? He said, why not? They're the only ones who can handle it. You see, God doesn't give grace instead of. God gives grace in the midst of. And when you learn that, your weakness becomes your witness. Your supernatural calm becomes your testimony to the world. When you learn that, you can keep calm. Now, I haven't completely learned that. But this pilgrim is making progress. You can too. So when anxiety starts to build up, go to school. Remember what you've learned. Study and honestly ask if some idol in your life is getting threatened, and that's why you're getting anxious. Intentionally examine and name your blessings and speak them out loud to God. Do some homework and remember how strong the grace of God really is. And let anxiety teach you to seek first the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus summed it up. That long section on why do you worry so much. He said, seek first the kingdom. I put it another way. The non-anxious life is the fruit of a higher pursuit. You don't leave anxiety by gritting your teeth and saying, I'm just not going to be anxious anymore. But trust and lean in to the goodness and grace of God. And pursue God and His kingdom. And you'll leave that prison. You stop chasing a place. And you start trusting a person. Some of you remember this illustration. But God taught me this in a big way many years ago. Early in our marriage, my wife and I were told we would never have children biologically, so we adopted two precious children. And we thought our family was complete. We moved on with our life. And then some years later, Jamie found out she was pregnant. And when she told me, now you would think I would just explode with joy, but the truth is, and she'll tell you this, for two weeks I went into a funk. And I was consumed by anxiety. I worried that we didn't have the resources for another child. Our finances were very lean. I worried that maybe I was too old to be the father I'd want to be for a child later in life. And if I was honest, I worried that God was messing with the timeline I had mapped out for what my future was going to look like. We were sitting in North Richmond Hills campus one Sunday having worship before my sermon. We were praising God for His goodness and faithfulness. And in 
the middle of that praise time, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, has there been one single day that you couldn't take your babies to a doctor if they were sick? One single day that they had nothing to eat or nothing to wear. So if I have been so faithful to your family in the past, why are you worried I won't be in the future? And I repented on the spot. I held up my hands and I praised God as loud as I could sing. I'm still on the journey, but I can tell you before God, on that day, I stopped worrying and I started rejoicing that I was going to get to be a daddy again. The one thing we need is the one thing we cannot lose. You cannot exhaust the supply of the grace of God. And that might be the most important thing you ever learn. And it might be the most important thing you ever teach somebody else. So pray with me, please. And so, Father, I know somewhere in some home or some building, someone has just heard this teaching. They're really wrestling with fear and worry. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to anoint this message and take it deep into places that need to be explored and need to be confessed. And I'm asking God, because we can't do this in our flesh. We can't do this in our own strength. We just can't grit our teeth and stop worrying. I'm asking for supernatural empowering to walk out of this cell of anxiety. I'm asking for a calm, God, that we can't explain, but we can't explain away. And I'm asking God that you would allow our weakness to become our witness to your power, your love, your grace. Oh God, we thank you today. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness. You have proved it over and over. And most of all, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.